Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the fifth episode of the first season of The Last of Us on HBO, Endure and Survive. I'm able to get this episode recorded a little bit earlier, thanks to the fact that HBO has nicely made the streaming of this episode available early, since it's competing directly with the Super Bowl. So if you're getting this early and you haven't watched yet, you can watch it conveniently before the game begins. I'm sure most people will be watching the Super Bowl tonight. And as I mentioned, it's currently available. This is a bit of a supersized episode, over an hour long, including the featurette at the end, which I do recommend people watch, about the production of this big, sprawling, really the the most impressive production so far of this show, really showing this big budget that they have. Next week, we go back to our Sunday night schedule, so I probably can't get these episodes out until Monday. Meanwhile, we continue to cover Your Honor, the Showtime Brian Cranston show, which is also halfway through its season. As I've mentioned previously, we will also be covering, not coincidentally, an HBO and a Showtime show, inc- concurrently, Yellow Jackets on Showtime, and Succession on HBO, both of those beginning as soon as these episodes wrap up, just one week later, and we'll be covering both of those. Make sure you subscribe so you know when all that becomes available. And there'll be other shows I'll be covering along the way. There's quite a few interesting shows that'll be popping up between then and now, including Shrinking on Apple TV Plus and Poker Face on Peacock, which we are also currently watching, and very much two really solid shows, in my opinion, especially Poker Face. If you'd like to support the show, drop us a line. My sister and I get into an interesting conversation about the what I think is a pretty cynical worldview here at the end of this conversation, so stay tuned for that. And I'd love to get your perspective on whether you find the show to be cynical or not. I personally do find, so far at least, the show to be cynical. Drop us a line with your opinion. Needs some introduction at gmail.com. And during your Super Bowl celebrations, do recommend this to any friend or family who might be asking you for a podcast recommendation, especially if they're watching one of these shows, or maybe exclusively if they're watching one of these shows. And expect that Tuesday I might be dropping a special Valentine's Day recommendation episode. Very short, little Valentine's from me to all of you. So let's get into the episode. Episode number five called Endure and Survive. episode begins, we actually jump back just slightly in time, and we see that the Kansas City Fedra forces have been overtaken by these rebels that we met last week, led by Kathleen, played by Melanie Linsky, and Perry, her right-hand man, played by Jeffrey Pierce, who, by the way, plays Joel's brother in the video game. Yet another Easter egg to the gamers. This is a brutal scene. We see that the Fedra troops are being strung up. And we see Henry and Sam, who we met last week, indeed are brothers, and they are trying to make their escape. There's an announcement in the background that collaborators will be tried. They will not be executed. They just need to turn themselves in now. We realize pretty quickly that Sam is deaf and Henry communicates with him mostly through sign language. Kathleen desperately wants to know where Henry is, and she goes and questions a bunch of these collaborators who have been detained by her forces. She clearly has nothing but disdain for these people who simply betrayed others for some creature comforts, apples, alcohol, but she says she'll give them a a fair trial, or they can all die unless they tell her where Henry is. Someone speaks up, one of these 
imprisoned people and tells her that they've gone to meet with the doctor, the doctor we met last week, her former obstetrician. She exits after getting this piece of information. They don't know where the rendezvous is. They simply know who's meeting. She tells Perry that this is the number one priority to find them. Perry actually thinks we do have the city, the perimeter, guarded. We can just wait them out if they try to exit. She's not happy with this answer. He also mentions to her, are we really going to put them on trial? And she says, absolutely not. Just kill them and burn them. Back with Sam and Henry, we see that they have met up with the doctor. This is the nest we found with the superhero drawings Kathleen and Perry located last episode. The doctor goes out to surveil the situation and maybe find some food, but never returns, as we know. Sam likes to draw. We saw many of his drawings last week. He loves comic books and superheroes. As days pass, they've run out of food. Sam is hungry. Henry informs Sam that the doctor is probably dead and is not coming back, and they're out of food. Henry knows that they're going to have to make a move soon, paints Sam's eyes with the, the superhero cowl, the red cowl that we saw last week. And this is when Henry hears gunfire outside, which of course is the encounter between Joel and Kathleen's forces from last week. Henry thinks this is an opportunity, some other outsiders that they can partner with. They pursue them through the city secretly and stumble upon Ellie and Joel's hiding place, encountering the broken glass, but working their way around it. And this is where we catch up with the final sequence from last week. After the standoff, Joel, of course, is very skittish and very brusque in his interactions, which is not <laughs> doesn't build a lot of confidence with Henry and Sam, but eventually they come to a peace. Joel gives him some food and says, let's go our separate ways. Henry says, I need you guys to get out of the city and I can show you how to get out. I bet you you came up here to look for an exit and I know an exit. This sounds like a good deal to Joel or maybe the only deal he has. He tells a little bit of the history of Fedra. Joel knows them by their reputation, apparently the mo one of the more brutal dictatorships of these cities, 20 years of pillaging and raping and torture. But Henry says, I'm even something worse. I'm a collaborator. Joel says, I don't work with rats. And Henry says, you, well, you're going to have to. Joel says, what do you need us for? You do seem to be doing a pretty good job. Henry says, the closest I've ever gotten to killing somebody is holding an empty gun on them, which is apparently what happened that morning. He needs him as some extra muscle. And he can see from what he saw the day before, that Joel is the right mercenary for the part. Ellie and Sam are bonding. It's nice to see these kids together. And it does lighten the mood momentarily in this grim, grim show. Henry outlines his plan. They can exit to almost the edge of the city and then cross the river. There's a subway and everyone's afraid to go down there because they believe the infected are down there. But apparently Fedra has done a really good job of clearing them out. So Henry promises, pretty confident, that it'll be a relatively clear exit from the city underground. Joel's a little suspicious of this, but really doesn't have many options. Henry says he's been down there, and for years now, it's been pretty clear, although he hasn't been down there in quite some time. They do initially actually have a pretty clear exit from the city. Another much needed moment of humanity here when they encounter a school of some kind, so some vestiges of some society underground. Apparently, this is also explored in the games, you can actually pick up these pictures and documents and get some history as to this mini culture that was developing underground. I do hope these people aren't all dead <laughs> and that they have gone on to greener pastures. This is really beautifully realized. You see these little details almost certainly lifted directly from the game. There's rules that are posted on the wall. You see that children have decorated the walls with their paintings and drawings, which have now become more desiccated. Sam and Ellie continue to bond. They play some soccer 
And of course, most importantly, maybe they find some old comic books that they used to enjoy where our title comes from, Endure and Survive, which as someone mentions is a little redundant. While the kids continue to play and everybody waits for the day to get a little darker so that they can make the exit from the city a little cleaner under cover of the dark, Henry does confess that he has never killed somebody with a gun, but he has indeed led to someone's death. And that is Kathleen's brother, who was the leader, the previous leader of these rebels. Sam, he, uh, he got sick. Leukemia. Yeah. Anyway, um, there was one drug that worked. And, whoa, big shock. There wasn't much left of it. And it belonged to Fedra. And if I wanted some, I was gonna take something big. So I gave him something big. That one green man. The leader of the resistance movement in Kansas City. And Kathleen's brother. Yeah, so, still think they should take it easy on me? Kathleen, meanwhile, is visiting the bunk where she slept with her brother, where they grew up together. And she speaks to Perry. He kept her safe when they were growing up. Apparently, her brother had told her to not seek vengeance if they killed him. And she's judging herself. She's not good enough. She's not as good as her brother. She wants revenge. Perry tells her, you know what? Your brother was a great man, but nothing changed under his leadership. And this rage, this anger has fueled Kathleen and has fueled all of them to overtake the Fedra forces. So he is loyal to her. At this point, we're only about two thirds of the way through the episode, but things are really about to go crazy on this show. And this is just one tense action sequence after another. It starts as Joel, Ellie, Sam, and Henry are casually strolling out of the city. Everything seems to have gone perfectly to plan. It's night now. And suddenly a sniper shot zips past them. They take cover and Joel decides that he's gonna sneak up on the attacker, who apparently is a pretty terrible shot. Joel does come upon this old man standing guard, sniping, and he begs him to please just put the gun down. He doesn't want to have to kill him, but he does not. We hear the gunshot, Joel puts him down, but then we also hear on the radio, Kathleen saying, stay put, we're almost there. We see everybody coming apparently, led by this armored vehicle with a giant ram in front of it. It's plowing through all of these cars on the edge of town, Ellie, Henry, and Sam are trying to take cover, and Joel is taking shots at that bulldozing truck. Once it gets close enough, he does indeed kill the driver. The car smashes into one of the buildings here on the edge of town, and it explodes. In the aftermath of the explosion, Kathleen is telling Henry and Sam to show themselves. And she has her own philosophy on life. I'll come out. Just let the kids go. No, sorry. The girl is with the man who killed Brian and Sam. Well, Sam's with you. You don't understand. But I do. I know why you did what you did. But did you ever stop to think that maybe he was supposed to die? He's just a kid. Well, kids die, Henry. They die all the time. You think the whole world revolves around him? That he's worth 
everything? Well, this is what happens when you f with fate. Get ready to take him and run. Yes. Do Kathleen it. does not believe in messing with fate and that it's going to end how it's going to end. And with those fateful words, the explosion has opened a hole in the ground. And from that hole comes <laughs> the, the ravages of hell itself in this incredible sequence of these infected swarming out from this hole. And this is a truly terrifying sequence. It makes you think about how this was the state of the world not that long ago in the world of this show. Perry tries to save Kathleen. They're well-armed, but completely outnumbered. And these swarming infected are killing everybody. We see some pretty incredible versions of these creatures. We have one of these clickers, probably played by some acrobat who can flip and flop through a window and from the back seat of the car to the front seat of the car. Very, very memorable and strange creature. And then we see for the first time one of these creatures called a bloater in the world of this game and show, which is one of these clickers, but absolutely enormous and apparently so strong that it can tear people apart limb from limb. Once again, not sure how this would work. Being zombified in the world of all of these movies and games apparently gives you superpowers. Ellie makes her escape. Joel is able to track her with the sniper rifle and is able to just pick off these creatures as they try to run her down. Meanwhile, Sam and Henry are trapped under a car trying to kick away these creatures. Ellie's able to use her knife to come up behind the creatures and stab them in the neck to incapacitate them. And Henry, Sam, and Ellie try to make their escape towards the building where Joel is sniping. As our quartet reunite and are about to make their escape, Kathleen is there and she's about to take her shot when that strange little acrobatic child, perhaps, clicker, pounces on her and kills her. And in this moment, it seems that our foursome has successfully made it out of the city. We see them on the other side of the river, presumably holed up in an abandoned motel. Sam and Ellie are reading another comic book. Henry asks Joel if it's okay if they tag along. It would be nice if Sam had a friend. Henry goes to tuck in Sam, tells him don't stay up too late. But of course, they decide to stay up late. That's what kids do. Sam tells Ellie, you never look scared. And Ellie makes a joke about it. But she does admit that she is afraid of ending up alone. Sam is afraid that when you turn into one of these creatures, it's still you inside, which is a chilling thought. And then he shows her that he's been bitten. She shows him that she's been bitten before too, but she has not turned. And she tells him, my blood is medicine. Cuts her hand and sweetly tries to cure him by rubbing it into his wound. Sam asks Ellie to stay up with him, to watch him, to make sure he doesn't turn. She promises she will, but inevitably she falls asleep. The next morning, he's staring out the window. And when she goes to check on him, he attacks her. He's now one of the infected. To protect Ellie, Joel pulls his gun, but then Henry pulls a gun on him, only for him to then kill Sam himself. And then despondent, after having killed his brother, after having sacrificed everything to rescue this one person, all for naught, he shoots himself in the head. Joel and Ellie bury their bodies and leaves them a note, I'm sorry, written on one of these reusable sketch pads. I forget what they call those things, but we all had them when we were kids. Joel seems touched. And now our foursome, down to a twosome once again, walk off into the sunset. So what are my thoughts on this episode? What a thrilling and impressively produced episode, which is once again, just incredibly, incredibly depressing. <laughs> Here we have Joel and Ellie encountering once again, even in all of its flaws, a mirror image of them also 
sacrificing and trying to create trying to create a family in the case of Sam and Henry literally a family sacrificing everything to rescue each other and once again all for naught so whew, what a rough week on this show can this show get any grimmer <laughs> i don't know how much grimmer i can go and tolerate this i will keep watching it everybody but what are your opinion are you vibing with this show i find this to be impressive to watch. Absolutely an impressive watch, exceptionally well-made with excellent performances, almost, I mean, across the board, excellent performances. But boy, what a non-ending downer of a show this is, at least until this point. And it shocks me, honestly, the absolute phenomena, phenomena that the show has become, the incredible ratings it's been getting from a show that on its surface, I mean, is not entertaining. <laughs> and I don't mean that as an affront, by the way. I mean that as the fact that this is not a conventionally entertaining show. It is a grim, grim watch. and uh, But the audiences are loving it. So let's get into my conversation with my sister, where I get into my mixed feelings about the show in much more detail. All right, Celia. So we got to see the latest episode of The Last of Us, just like everybody else in America, got to, or I guess around the world possibly too, got to see this earlier than usual, which is nice from a production standpoint. Get it out of the way as quickly as possible. The cat has something to say about it too. <laughs> and this is the fifth episode where at this point, at the end of this episode, we are exactly halfway through the season. This show has been renewed for season two. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, Celia, but this show is quite the phenomena. It started off, they were pretty happy with things started. They had about four and a half million people watching the first episode of this season which was their third most popular premiere episode ever. Half as much, by the way, less than half as much as House of the Dragon. But of course, House of the Dragon had a built-in fan base, but still a very good number for them. But it gets much better. Episode two went from four and a half million to five and change. Episode three with Bill and Frank went to over six million. And then episode four, last week's cliffhanger episode, got almost eight million viewers on day one, which basically is on par with where House of the Dragon was at its run. So pretty phenomenal. And hey, given this episode being available early and what happens in this episode, the most action-packed of these episodes so far, I have a feeling this thing's going to jump up even higher. Maybe it'll be bigger than House of the Dragon. So this, and it's only halfway done. So this is quite the phenomena they have on their hands. It does make me worry about the state of America, <laughs> if this is what everybody's choosing to watch, but we'll get into that. So this episode is called Endure and Survive. And that is from a comic book that they find, Ellie and Sam, who bond a little bit here underground, find the remnants of an underground society, which is also in the video game, by the way. So what did you think of the episode overall? This was my favorite episode so far yeah. because of what you were saying. It was completely action-packed. I was stressed out the entire time, hoping that these people would survive. But what I also love about this episode is that we finally understand why this rebel group is after this yeah. boy. Mm -hmm. And I'm sympathetic to the rebel group also. If someone killed you for whatever reason, I would feel like I would need to get vengeance. I would just be blinded by rage. But then at yeah. the same time, I also see why he would do that. And the fact that he had such love for the person that he had to, I guess, expire in order to save his little brother, because we find out it's his little brother. Yeah. 
I'm sympathetic to all of the characters, regardless of the violence that's ensuing because of the situation. And then the underlying situation pops up at the end. That scene was horrifying. So the whole episode is amazing. Everything about it was way more than I was expecting. Yeah, I agree. I thought this was the most satisfying from just a visceral standpoint. And it has all that complexity you mentioned. You sympathize, obviously, with everybody in this circumstance. You see Ellie and Joel. Basically, Joel is siding with someone that he morally disagrees with. He has a philosophical disagreement that he will not collaborate with these collaborators, these Fedra collaborators. But in this circumstance, he has to make that compromise because he's probably going to get killed by the people that he supposedly is morally aligned with. They're not going to listen to his story. And like you mentioned, you see Kathleen is absolutely right to be furious. However, I would say her single-minded goal of retribution not only is in the end, sadly, just killing off two children, basically, that she gets everybody killed. So regardless of what her morality is, this is the wrong approach. It got all her people who could have exited. They're literally at the exit of the city. Crossing the river protects them from their current circumstance, but they are so dead set on exterminating these two boys that they all die. They all die. Well, they're determined to follow her because what we were talking about also several times for this show and then other shows that are also a pop apocalyptic, things happen that are basic human nature, unfortunately, where you need a leader, they're the followers, there are people who only are looking out for themselves. What they were discussing at the beginning of this episode is the horrifying situation that everybody was put in where there was rapings and murders and people taking advantage of the weak there was a rebel, uh, like a rebellion, and people started doing things for themselves to survive and like kind of going off in their own little camps. She was angry because they were betraying the rebels for food, for apples, she said. It makes you sympathetic to everyone except for the people we're not seeing who basically were taking full advantage of this awful situation. And we don't even need to see them because we know those people exist. They really should have all gotten together, I guess, and defeated this system that was basically raping all of them of their rights. But that's not what happens in the real world. So the fact that they could portray that in this show is very impressive because I felt it. Maybe primarily what I want to talk about is my ongoing disappointment with the nihilism of the show, but it's possible that the second half will go in a different direction, but I don't think that's the case at this point anymore. Still remains to be seen, and I'm still interested in seeing it, but I'll touch on two more positive things before we get to that. One, like you said, I like the competing moralities and how you can make the argument for everyone's perspective, including Fedra, not the rapists and the people who are taking advantage. And like when you see, um, let's say, for example, an occupy, an occupying force like the American troops in um, Afghanistan or in Iraq during the, the that ongoing war, that there definitely were people who murdered and raped 
and took advantage of that situation. But the vast majority of them were there trying to do the right thing. And the reason I mentioned that is as brutal as maybe Fedra was and as oppressive and authoritarian as their regimes were, the simple fact is the quarantine zone just fell a few days ago and now everybody is dead. <laughs> so as brutal as it was, and I'm not saying that show has the perspective that they're right, those people are still alive once the quarantine zones are in place. And when the quarantine zones collapse, everybody is exterminated by this virus. So that is to say that it is brutal, but perhaps necessary, at least in the center of the city. And of course, you also have all these other competing factions, Sam and his brother, obviously he sacrificed everything, probably can't even live with himself considering what he sacrificed to try to rescue his brother, which of course, once again, to the nihilism of the show, is all a moot point at the end. He has to end up killing his own brother after all that. And of course, that means he has to kill himself. So there's a lot of cynicism and nihilism here, which I bristle against, but I do want to focus on those really, really positive things that I thought we saw in the episode. One was just seeing Ellie and Sam together and also seeing that there was this underground community, which of course is no longer there. So remains to be seen. Did they escape? I hope so. Or were they just exterminated like everybody else? I have a feeling that the thumb on the scale is probably on the ladder considering how dark this show has been. But it is nice to see that there was a society that was trying to rebuild itself, even if it was in secret. And you see this possible future for the world when you see these kids together, right? Because that really is where any kind of optimism would come from in, in rescuing these children. And then the other positive point uh, I want to bring up is, like you mentioned, that final sequence where the ground erupts. And if you saw the featurette afterwards, by the way, they show how these are not CGI these are people who are basically go to a boot camp. They worked with people who worked on the Planet of the Apes movies to basically send all their extras to a boot camp to like learn how to move like these zombies or whatever. And then they unleash them on the actors. So it is a truly massive and, and shocking sequence, especially since we haven't seen anything like that on the show before. You can only imagine what this was when this thing was raging and these infected were probably killing millions of people daily, that this is what the streets look like all the time. And it's a truly, truly terrifying <laughs> sequence. Like maybe the first time the show has aggressively become a horror show. Really well made. I love though that they go deep with yeah. the characters because really everybody has a survival instinct. So everyone yeah. really is out for themselves just in general. Like you want yourself to be happy. It's very hard for most people to be empathetic enough to look that far outside themselves to see what all the consequences would be to the words you say, your actions, even little actions have repercussions that you're not aware of. And you can't be aware of all of your actions and all of your ripples of repercussions because you would just be in a state of anxiety all the time. So everybody is trying to survive, and they've all latched on to a mission. He's trying to save Ellie. Right. This guy's trying to save his brother. This right. lady's mad because her brother, who was this wonderful person who seems to have the capabilities to empathize that far outside himself, was just murdered. That's amazing that these people are leaders. They could bring people in and have them do their bidding through their own, I guess, perspective. So the show does an amazing job of doing that. So it does come off nihilistic, yeah. but I tend to be more nihilistic than you. 
not that I don't think humanity has wonderful qualities, but base humanity is very similar to what we're seeing here. So I don't know if it's going to all of a sudden sunshine and rainbows are going to come out at any point for more than like two seconds, because I don't think that's the reality that you're way more optimistic about humanity than I am. So I'm watching this show not going, oh, it's so nihilistic. I'm watching the show thinking, if I was this person, I might behave in this way. Not because I'm a bad person, because I don't think I am, but because that is human nature. It's, it's a primal reaction to the state that you're in, because now you have to survive. If it's not just you surviving because you just want to end your life because this is so depressing. You may cling on to another person or your family or someone, your dog, whatever, to get yourself through the situation. And that's what everyone is doing on this show. The the people we're not seeing are really like the base of humanity. I mean, excuses to just do horrible things because now they can, because there's no law. Those people, the ones we're not seeing, are also realistic parts of humanity. I don't find it nihilistic in the way you do. I would say if this is the end of the show, not that it is, obviously, and there might be more humanity to be exposed in these ongoing stories. But at this moment in the show, this show is absolutely a nihilistic show. This is a show that is saying that without the constraints of society, we would simply just eat each other, and uh, which is insane as in my perspective, this Hobbesian view of the world. Because like, for example, Hobbes himself says that people are just these, uh, without society, that we are just these apes that would kill each other off, which of course is hilarious on, on its face because apes don't do that, right? Apes are collaborative animals. So calling us these vicious apes that would just only selfishly destroy ourselves is contradictory in and of itself. And like I said, also previously have said on previous episodes, it's contradicted by the history of humanity itself, right? We have organized over and over again. We have always try to organize ourselves. That's how we built cities. That's how we built um, countries. Agriculture was born by the fact that one person would grow crops for everybody else, and then everybody else would have time to learn other skills that then, of course, that's how economies developed. And I'm not saying that's all, Victor, you're so naive. And I'm talking about the actual society, the the actual history of humanity. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what it's true. But there's also been really tragic things that happen because people are so base. I, I will totally not agree everyone, that. Not everyone. Well, that's the point I was about to make is that that is where I say the show is nihilistic because, and once again, I, it can, I can be proven wrong by this. There may be when we get to Wyoming next week, by the way, which is where we're headed, that there is a culture that's developing up there where people have said, you know what? We left the cities to be raided and uh, kill each other off. And everybody who didn't want to become a scavenger has actually organized in some other part of the, the country. It may very well turn out to be the case that that is what we're going to see in the second half of the season. I'm just talking at this point, we have not seen that, right? What we have seen is everybody is purely selfish and base and would kill somebody just for an apple, right? And then that is once again, contradicted by the history of humanity. But beyond that, it's also just, you know, I think about the fact we have a friend who just had her second cancer scare. Luckily, it turned out to not be the case, but we were worried there for a while. And it made me think about the fact in the context of the show that 
it's not like people every single day get diagnoses that they're going to die. You'll be dead in six months. You'll be dead in three months. And this show would have you believe that that person is going to start robbing banks and becoming a serial killer because who the hell cares? I'll be dead in three months. And that's not what happens, right? They choose to spend their lives with their families. They try to do, do something positive. And I'm not saying that some people don't become cynical monsters and destroy everything around them. Absolutely. It happens every day. We see it on the news. That is what makes the headlines. But what we don't see in the headlines is the 98% of people who say, I'll be dead in three months. I'm going to try to make the world a better place, which is exactly what 90 something percent of people do. But that doesn't make the headlines. But and this show, this show has not shown us <laughs> that side of humanity yet. If you take someone who has these tendencies to just while out, they don't care. And then they find other people who are just like them. And they are out there because there are, in my opinion, bad people out there. But we are not seeing people fortifying themselves and protecting themselves against the criminal gangs, which absolutely, I 100% agree, would exist. We're not seeing that. We're seeing everybody is exterminating everybody. And they just have different rationale for what they're doing. I find it way more realistic than you. And I am totally into pretty depressing, morbid shows because I almost am outside looking in going, I wonder what would happen if this thing occurred and you ran into this element. And so to me, it seems realistic. I'm not afraid of it. I'm just seem to be more aware of it. So I like this show, like where it is. I don't mind that it's nihilistic. I feel like this might happen if this awful thing happened. Then again, I would like to see some, you know, sunlight for a minute or two, as you would like to see. It's not bothering me that I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's just the perspective of the show right now is except for like the moment where we see like Bill and Frank like planting strawberries. This world would have us believe, except for Bill and Frank, <laughs> except for them, that you would never plant a strawberry. What you would do is you would murder someone, eat their strawberries, and then instead of planting those strawberries, you would go find someone else to murder and then eat their strawberries too. And then when everybody has been murdered, you would drop dead because there would be no more people to murder for their strawberries. And I'm like, I think at some point, people would plant a strawberry. That's just my guess. Because once again, we still have strawberries. We have not killed each other off for our fruits and vegetables. They still grow in the ground. People still cultivate. People still grow things and eat things. They don't just eat each other <laughs> in the yeah, world proper. That's what I'm talking even about. Even those two guys isolated themselves in a way that from the scavengers, what? absolutely, because yes. the show's perspective, that's what I'm saying, because <laughs> the, show's, the show's perspective is that no one's going to help me farm my strawberries, everyone will murder me for my strawberries, or for an apple, according to that metaphor of this particular episode. And by the way, that's the other reason that I feel uh, you know, a little exhausted by the nihilism of the show is, if we are to believe that everybody is deep down inside, purely just one step removed from being a monster that would kill everybody around them for... One more day on earth, they would murder their own, every relative they have just to live for five more minutes. If that's true, then why would I root for anyone on the show? Like, aren't we just waiting to watch everybody die? And uh, I'm like, the sooner the better. <laughs> Let's just get rid no, of everybody. No, <laughs> I'm rooting for people who are able to survive in this situation by holding on to the humanity that they were born with, I hope. There are just people who are much stronger than other people. And you thought the only way you could survive is to jump in with a stronger gang and 
you know, you're just part of their group now because you're not strong enough to go out by yourself. It might just be easier to fall in with this aggressive, nasty gang type situation because they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to tell you where to go. And this is what I'm looking at when I look at this show. I'm being really philosophical about humanity when I'm looking at this show, but I don't find it unbelievable. So I'm really enjoying this show because I'm never like, oh my God, I can't believe there's no sunlight. And I'm like, oh, that might happen. Like, I never think this wouldn't happen. Don't I sound morbid? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) you do. I know, but I love good people, by the way. I gravitate towards that. If I was in this situation, I would hide out probably not in a group of wonderful people. I might hide out for a while until I could figure out who is it that I could hang out with and not get eaten alive. I need to see that for myself before I join anyone's group. The the cynicism I see in the show, and once again, we're only halfway through, so I could be wrong about everything I'm saying right now. But the cynicism I see is that I agree that there is, even in our own behavior, there are times when we are incredibly selfish and there are times when we are incredibly humane, even in an individual. The issue I have with the show is that we don't see that other side, right? What we do see is we see the Fedra people, you know, except for brief moments like that woman who checked in that boy in the second episode who tells him, you know, we're going to give you a shot. And when you wake up, you can play with all the toys. And she's trying to give him a final nice experience because they're actually going to kill this boy, which I understand by the way, I'm not even criticizing there, but I do see that flash of humanity when she tries to be kind to him before they kill him, which is a shred of humanity that we see here on the show. But also, I don't see that across the board. We And here's where the cynicism, cynicism comes in. We see, again, in this episode, where there's this underground school where these kids have decorated the walls. And obviously, everything is painted. So this wasn't like didn't last a week. This thing was there for some period of time. Maybe these people had these secret schools underground for years. Maybe they were hiding away from Fedra and from these darker um, militias that were roaming the streets as well. But where are they? Uh, you know, hopefully, I hope they escaped. You know, they got into communication with some other group and they've said, get the hell out of Kansas City. It's brutal there. Uh, move up to the mountains or whatever. And, you know, we have a community and you can come join us. I do hope that's the direction the show is going in. But at this point, I feel like they probably got murdered. <laughs> because that seems to be what happens to anybody. And of course, that's the problem. If you're not doing the murdering, then you're going to end up murdered. But then think about everybody in that show who has made these compromises. Tess is dead. Sam and his brother are dead. Frank and Bill are dead. Right? It's just like, you're just going to die anyway, even if you try to do the right thing. And that's where the cynicism of the show comes from. But Although Joel and Ellie are not yet dead. so And by the way, one more positive thing I would say is it is very sweet to see that Ellie is, you know, in that moment, hoping that her blood, of course, and it's not going to work that way, just rub some blood on it. But uh, she is hoping that she can actually cure Sam from his bite. And of course, that does not go well. But it is heartening. And maybe that's what the show is trying to say. And it's also something that we saw in Station Eleven, by the way, right? Is that as you get older, maybe you get hardened and all you want to do, and maybe it's like a conservative mindset, all you want to do is preserve what you have at all costs. It doesn't matter. Even if all I have is like two square feet of private space, I will kill for that. And maybe it is the younger generation 
that is more idealistic and is actually thinking about like, no, like without a future, what's the point, right? Let's talk about children of men. Without a future, what's the point? So I have to believe in the future no matter what. And this is kind of what Tess was telling Joel when she died. So I do hope that once again, that that is the direction the show is going in and that we've just simply been seeing right now that more hardened conservative viewpoint and that inevitably humanity has to evolve to see more than life is just about eating another piece of bread. Life has to be about wanting to live in a world with other people. And I think that is still something we haven't seen. But well, we are seeing it because he is out there on a mission to save this girl yes, who is the, the future. Fire, right. Still, yes, the Fireflies in Boston and maybe across the country are the one group of people who are still fighting for a future. Yes. Yes. And then this boy and his brother, he did something really terrible to save his brother, who is the future. The young people are the future. I mean, that's just the way it is. So yeah. I am seeing that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I don't see that I want to see more of. And maybe that's what is kind of missing here in the show. All you can do when things are bleak is to fight for the next generation for so that you can continue to protect your children and that they can have more children. So you see that these freedom fighters uh, who are murdering everybody, like literally every terrible thing that was done by Fedra, they are doing, they're taking these people, hanging them in the streets, raping them. They're doing everything back at them, which is just such a incredibly bleak view of humanity, but they don't have anything to fight for as opposed to these people who are fighting for children, right? You have Ellie and Joel is protecting her now. He's slowly starting to develop this affinity for her. I think especially now at the end of this episode. And of course you see Sam and, um, Henry, who's fighting to uh, protect Sam. We're, we're running out of time, so I do want to just mention one more thing. I think structurally in the show that I find very interesting and I'm starting to see in these episodes is that Joel and Ellie, but really this is Joel who's having this experience, he's seeing alternate versions of who he could have been. So you see Frank and Bill hold up together, and of course, Tess and Joel went to visit them. We see that in that flashback. So that was a possibility, right? Tess and Joel could have lived there, you know, in one of the other houses. Well, why not, right? Like there's a whole city that is available to them or somewhere else they could have holed up somewhere. So that is one possibility, a, a, a road that Joel could have traveled. And, you know, Tess was probably still childbearing bearing age. Could have They could have had a family. They could have started something new. That is one possible route for Joel's um, history. Another one was to have joined some kind of militia, which he, he did in the past. But not only that, he also had the opportunity to join the Fireflies like his brother did. That He could have settled down with Tess, which of course, I think was the point of that episode and the letter that he gets at the end. Uh, another route he could have taken, here he is like Henry and Sam, sacrificing everything to rescue just one person. And of course, that ends up terribly for them. So what I think in a way, what we're seeing is all these different possible decision points that could have been made. And Joel is weighing all that out. We do have to talk about how amazing he is at sharpshooting. <laughs> oh my God, that incredible, right? Yes. Great. Yes. That was so yeah. great. That that is a little video gamey, by the way. There's a couple of things that here that uh, I, I'm sure they're there as Easter eggs for the video game players. But it is a little video gamey where he can pick off, like basically just pick out 
her in the crowd. Not only is he an incredible shot, but there are people who are emptying their clips into the heads of these mushroom heads, which of course, how accurate are you going to be shooting into, you know, like you, you basically have to cut and sever this thing's spine each time, which he is easily doing from, you know, hundred yards away. So very, very questionable uh, how accurate that is. The other thing that is very, very much video gamey is this giant bloater, as they call them, one of these giant clickers that comes out of the ground, which like literally like tears people uh, in half. So he's not even going to bite you. He's just going to rip you apart. And uh, that very much feels like, you know, kind of like a boss level in a video game as well. And what a great actor he is. Like when he is up there all anxious, trying to save her by shooting these creatures so accurately, he's shaking. Like he is, I can feel the anxiety come. Great actor, amazing casting. Pedro Pascal is such an incredible actor in general, by the way, that he is somehow so in touch with his emotions. There is a viral video that's, you know, it still shows up on TikTok all the time, but you should just watch the original video where he is doing a play reading during the pandemic. It's him and Paul Giamatti on a Zoom, and they're basically reading through a play. This was something they were doing as a fundraiser where famous actors during the pandemic would perform small one-act plays, and then they would charge ticket prices, et cetera. He's in the middle of this conversation with Giamatti, and he starts to laugh hysterically, and then his laughing turns into crying hysterically. It's incredible. It's incredible. I'm like, wow, like, how do you do that? That's like so amazing that you could just do that on the fly. But anyway, he is very much an impressive actor, and you know, he has to carry this whole thing on his shoulders, and obviously they have picked the right actor to do that. So yeah, next week we are headed to Wyoming. I do like seeing that his brother is going to call him out for some of the really, really scummy things that he's done along the way. So maybe this show is going to suddenly suddenly have this conversation that I'm trying to have about what is the cost of selfishness and what is the cost to humanity uh, in being acting purely selfishly. So I think that is maybe the pivot point I'm hoping to have in this show. Up until now, I find it a little too one note downbeat. Although you make a very important point that these fireflies, it's almost something I've forgotten because <laughs> it's so long ago now in the show, but that these fireflies do believe in the future, right? They're saying like, you know, even in the darkness of light, you know, look for the light, which is the firefly light. And uh, just their motto itself is saying that, you know, we're still here no matter how dark things get. Hopefully there is some light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train coming our way. All right. So I think we can end it there. And uh, next week, it's back to Sunday nights. Unfortunately, we do not get these early previews of the episode. I very much enjoyed being able to record early, (laughs) but I don't think it's going to (laughs) last. And I'm going to see you. In an hour. Yeah, exactly. I know. See you in an hour. I can't wait. I'm going to get lobster. Oh, nice. All right. I'll publish this uh, tonight, probably. I'm going to let you know. Okay, cool. Bye. Bye.